Life can be tough. We're busy. We time. I'm overwhelmed. We're binging. I'm overwhelmed. We're bruised. I need it. I don't have time. I'm overwhelmed. I can't help it. I We're bothered. Yeah. What's next? We've got baggage. I can't I don't have time. We're bewildered. I can't forget. What now? What's next? What's next? The new normal. Everybody. How are you guys doing? Good? Awake? Great to see you. Happy June. It's lovely out. Well, it's just great to be with you. An honor to be with you this morning. We are finishing up our series on the new normal. And over the last six weeks, we've spent time just asking the question, what is normal? What is normal now that didn't used to be normal? What things have we adjusted to, accepted, become accustomed to, and should they be? We've talked about busyness and binging, our bruises, where we're bothered, our baggage. Areas of life that feel normal, that feel common in our world that we've unpacked to simply ask, is this normal? What truths can we find, what God might say to us in the midst of it all? We hope that you've had good conversations throughout this series, that this has led to some real introspection in you. And this morning, we're going to be looking at bewildered. Bewildered is our word this morning. So if you're following along in the bulletin, point one is what is bewilderment? What is bewilderment? When we were prepping for this series and bewildered came up, I had to be honest Um, This is not a word that I typically use in my everyday vocabulary. I wasn't super familiar with the word, so I had to Google it. (laughs) Like, Google what it meant. And according to Webster, uh, bewildered means to be perplexed and confused or very puzzled. Perplexed, confused, very puzzled. In bewilderment, we have a lack of understanding, a lack of clarity, It literally houses a word within the word, if you will, and that word is wild. And the wild is a place that I have not been before. I do not know my surroundings. I have a sense of feeling lost in the wild. Be wild, Ermint. How many of you all grew up in Colorado? By show of hands. Okay, okay. We are proud of that, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. I am a proud Colorado native. I was born in Denver. I grew up on the south side of Denver. And I have always prided myself on my supreme sense of direction. You know what I'm saying? Superior sense of direction. I remember where we parked the car. I have a sense we've been here before. I have an idea of the direction we should be going of north, east, south, and west. Some of you know This Colorado secret, the mountains are always west. On this side of the mountains, (laughs) the mountains are always west. If the mountains are this way, then everything else is that way, north, east, south, and west. My whole life, I've been grounded in these. I have a sense of where I am, thanks to my friends, in the west. My husband, on the other hand, some of you know him. His name is Justin Matthews. He's the middle school pastor here. He's the best. He's the best. Um, But he grew up on the outskirts of Knoxville, Tennessee. So he did not grow up with the mountains to the west. And when I tell him 
that the restaurant is on the southeast corner, he will just look at me and blink slowly. <laughs> and he'll begin to tell me how unhelpful that is to him. He'll ask me for lefts, for rights, for like unique landmarks to help find the restaurant. I've tried to teach him. I've tried to teach him our ways, but it's no help. You take me outside of Colorado, though, and I will join the masses in total and utter dependence on the sweet and consistent calming voice and leadership of Siri. <laughs> right? Justin and I spent a season living in Southern California, and I knew a small box independently, how to get around independently without my cell phone. But if you put me on the interstate, headed into LA without my cell phone, and I'll be lost forever. You'll just never find me. <laughs> Again, I'll be there. What would we do without the dear and precious GPS? What would we do? How would we survive? Young ones, come gather, gather close. Let me tell you about the days of old, of paper maps as big as the windshield. Days when you actually had to pull over and speak to a stranger. Can you imagine it? How would we survive? Oh, it's funny. It's funny because it's a little true. Now, sometimes Siri gets a little confused, you know, sometimes. But overall, I would say we don't get lost maybe like we used to get lost. When was the last time that you were really lost? And what was that like? What did that feel like? Maybe confusing, struggling to grasp where you were, where you were going, disoriented, bewildered, maybe. Are we bewildered? We live in a culture where things are changing so fast. We are overwhelmed with the information at our fingertips. We're trying our best to keep up with all that's happening in our, in our world, trying to decipher what news is true who to listen to, we're overwhelmed. We're in shock with our TV sets, with school shootings, with all the shootings, with the state of the world. Things that were once secure maybe no longer feel as secure. Institutional things we could count on, like things like family, religion, the social fabric that connected us despite our differences, now we live in a day when all of that feels like it's eroding in a pretty rapid way. What was once secure no longer feels secure. For some of us, we feel like we can't keep up. Like it's just easy to feel behind. Like everything is changing so fast, it's hard to imagine the future. Looking forward can leave us bewildered. So what does it look like for you personally? It's point two in your outline today. What bewilders you? What bewilders you? Sometimes our bewilderment looks like amazement, awe, even joy. Like this was better than I thought, better than I could have dreamed or imagined. I couldn't have written something this good. Sometimes bewilderment looks more like disappointment. Like, this isn't how I thought my life would go. I didn't get into that dream school. I didn't marry that person. I didn't expect that diagnosis. 
I didn't think my kids would be like this, or that my finances would do that, or that my marriage would be like this, that this person would leave, that the babies would be so hard to have, that my mind would struggle like this, that death would come too soon. It isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I would have written or chosen. We all have this, for better or for worse. So what does it look like for you? This message is a personal one for me. Over the last few years, significantly in the last year and a half, um, Justin and I have walked through a season that has been very bewildering. It's been deeply painful. And the specifics of it I'm not ready to share just yet. Maybe someday. But I want you to know that I come to you sharing about this um, with a deep compassion. I have wrestled with bewilderment. I am wrestling still. This topic is personal to me. What it's felt like for me, or some of the verbiage that I've used, is upside down. How many of you have ever been surfing? By show of hands. Okay, a few of us <laughs> have been surfing. I said we lived in uh, Southern California. We lived in Huntington Beach, California, which is a hot surf spot. They call it Surf City. Um, surfing was a regular part of life. And I would surf, okay? Strong quotes on what I was doing <laughs> out there. Um, turns out I'm pretty terrible at surfing, but it was really fun. For the most part, it was really fun, and I was out there. Oh, I was out there. Every once in a while, though, I would get caught, I would catch a wave, and then I would get tossed, and I'd get tossed hard, and my body would do this scorpion thing under the water where my feet would touch the back of my head, and I'd find myself, like, totally disoriented, unsure of which way was up underwater, which made me panic. Bewilderment, for me, has felt a lot like that. Upside down, I'm not sure which way is up, underwater, a little bit of panic. I'd say things like, I'm upside down about the whole thing. Have you felt like that? Are you with me on that? What bewilders you? Now, I am so comforted by accounts in Scripture of so many people who were just like us. We are in good company with many, many folks who found themselves totally confused by what God was doing when it's not what they wanted, not what they could have seen coming, not what they understood. There's so many of them. I wish I had time to unpack them all, but I don't. So I've included some references for you in your bulletin um, or on the bottom of the sermon notes on the app for you to spend some time studying on your own. I want to encourage you to read them sometime this week, to discover their bewilderment, to look for how God responds to them. It's okay to be bewildered. The heroes of our faith found themselves here. It did not disqualify them from what God wanted to do in them and through them. We're in good company with these people. I do want to unpack one of these accounts with you today, though, which is found in Luke uh, chapter 24. 
Two of Jesus' followers are walking. They're leaving Jerusalem. And this account takes place like post-cross, post-resurrection. So post-Good Friday and Easter, Jesus has died and has risen, although they don't recognize that part yet. Like they didn't know or understand that Jesus was alive at this point in time. So Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. It was a big few days in Jerusalem, and they are totally confused, traumatized. Their dreams have been ripped away from them. This is the epitome of, like, I didn't think it would go this way. What's important to know about the disciples and really about the Jewish understanding of the Messiah is that they were hoping for someone like Elijah, who, if you recall, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament who had wild victory. He defeated the prophets of Baal by calling down fire. The Jewish people in the first century were oppressed by Rome, and they awaited a savior, a Messiah, someone who'd been promised to them throughout all their sacred scriptures, our Old Testament who would come and be the true king of the Jews. They had in their vision, in their mind, someone who would overthrow Rome. And they pictured, like, military conquest, fire, glory. Instead, Jesus was teaching radical things about praying for your enemies. He was spending time with outcasts and sinners, He didn't seem to be observing the Jewish law, the Torah, in the way that they thought. But he was performing miracles and he was teaching with authority and they were on the edge of their seats waiting for the moment when he would overthrow Rome and free them in glory and power. And then he died. From their view, their dreams died with him. They left everything to follow him. They were devastated, confused, bitterly disappointed, and bewildered. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus approaches them as a stranger. Why would he do that? How many of us miss the presence of God in our lives? Like, we'd assume we'd recognize him if he was just walking along next to us, right? Maybe. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He started teaching. He did some correcting in their thought process. He pointed to himself in scripture, grounding them and challenging them. Verse 26, as they approached the village and where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus approached them as a stranger. He initiated with them in the midst of their journey, in the midst of their bewilderment and bitter disappointment. He asks them a leading question, which he didn't need to ask that. It wasn't for himself. It was all for their benefit. He invites them to wrestle with him and with scripture. Jesus allows them to wrestle. And he allows us to wrestle too. Just point three in your bulletin. God allows us to wrestle. What does it look like to wrestle well? In this life, you will have moments of bewilderment. Moments where you do not understand when life doesn't go the way you think it should, when you find yourself disoriented, tossed hard, upside down, underwater, unsure of which way's up. You're either in that now or you will be. The goal of our faith isn't to be without bewilderment. It's okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. So when you find yourself there, my question for you is how do you respond? Who or what do you turn to in your bewilderment? And how can we wrestle well in the new normals of our world? For that, I have a series of questions for you to process on your own this week, to evaluate yourself. And the first one is, uh, do I know how to grieve? Do I know how to grieve? It feels pretty tough to address bewilderment without addressing grief. Our grief, our suffering, our disappointment are huge contributors to our bewilderment. Our pain and suffering is never comfortable, ever. <laughs> we, I, we don't like it, we don't want it. So sometimes we ignore it. We get bothered, we get busy, we start binging. All of these topics that we have covered in this series really are connected. Like our bruising, our baggage, leave us, it leaves us bewildered, which leads us to a variety of ways that we run to escape or to numb or to cope with the stresses of our lives. The ways that we do that today are different than ever before. And this series, The New Normal, really speaks to today's common escapism. I heard a comedian recently the other day talking about boredom. And he was like, boredom, you remember that thing from the 90s? Which it's true, because if I'm bored today, I have games, I have social media, 
I have things to scroll, things to do, things to watch. We have endless ways to fill our boredom, to distract us from introspection, to fill the silence with noise, to entertain us, to numb us, to disconnect us from our hearts. Have you allowed yourself to grieve? I would suggest the only way to move through our grief is to grieve. I know how simple that sounds. It sounds simple. I know. But if you ignore it, if you push it down, if you avoid it, and never allow yourself to actually grieve, it's still going to be there for you to deal with later. Months, years down the road. To allow yourself to grieve is the only way to walk through grief, to move forward, to find new life on the other side. And some of you know that. Some of you have done that work. Have you made space to connect with God in those places of your heart? We have got to come before God with our pain, with our failures, with our hearts, as they are. God wants you. He wants the core of you. He knows the core of you, and he still wants you. Hear me, you are delighted in and beloved despite all your ugly. You do not have to fix yourself before coming to him. That door is open for you. And that's the good news of the gospel. We have Jesus to thank for that. But it's in that place that he invites you to wrestle before him, with him, alongside him, to be honest and real before him about your disappointment, your fear, your anger, your pain. There's an entire book in the Bible um, dedicated to grieving, you guys know this, called Lamentations. To lament is another word for grieving. It's just passionate expression of sorrow. Fun. (laughs) It's a beautiful book. If you read the Psalms, every emotion is expressed to God. Israel's name in Hebrew literally means struggles or wrestles with God. Do you feel allowed to wrestle with God or to process with God any tension that you feel authentically? When a boat out at sea um, enters a storm or gets caught in a storm, The protocol for making it out is to face the storm, to directly face oncoming waves and anchor down. Directly face the storm and anchor down. If a wave catches a boat sideways, the chances of capsizing dramatically increase. The same is true with surfing. (laughs) Face the storm and anchor down. I think the same is true for us when it comes to our grief and wrestling well. Face the storm and anchor down. Get still. Get quiet. Get honest. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Face your storm and anchor down with Jesus. The followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus thought that he would free them from suffering but he freed them through suffering. 
They thought he would free them from suffering, but Jesus freed them and he freed us through suffering. Our invitation is to follow him. We don't get to opt out of grief. Jesus himself, when he was trying to prepare his disciples for what was about to happen to him in John 16, said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do I know how to grieve? The next question um, is, do I have people in this with me? Do I have people in this with me? We are more connected uh, than we've ever been, and yet more lonely than ever before. When it comes to the places in life when we feel upside down or we feel bewildered, um, it's not hard to isolate, to go at it alone, to pull back, to not let anyone in. But we were never meant to navigate life isolated. We're literally hardwired for connection and community. In the sport of wrestling, in the sport where there's a ring, but on the mat, there's always someone in the corner supporting the wrestler. These people see the things that the wrestler can't see. They coach, they remind, they support, they encourage the wrestler. We all need people in our corner. This might not be a huge list of people. In fact, with what you're wrestling through, if that's really heavy, um, it's probably wise to keep that circle small. For me and my bewilderment, this has looked like a few people who are safe. They are the people who allow me to process with them. They're good listeners. They don't try to fix me because I actually don't want someone that's going to try to fix me. They are the people who pray prayers I can't always pray who remember me, who see me, um, who even fight for me when I need it. They've made my life richer. And while the things that I have carried are still heavy, it's been a gift to me to have people in my corner. So who are the people in your corner? If you have them, I want to encourage you to text them or call them. Um, You can do that now if you want to get out your phones. Send a text message. I won't be offended by that. But if not now, at some point today, text them, call them, thank them. Tell them that you consider them those safe people in your corner. we got to have people in our corner. And the last thing I want to say or I want to mention about having people in this with you is just the power of professional counseling. I am a huge fan of professional counseling. We as a church are huge fans of professional counseling. It is so helpful. Have you ever been? to counseling. There's a stigma around it that counseling is only for if things are really bad or really hard, to which it's very helpful if things are really bad and really hard. But it can be such a benefit to take advantage of counseling before it gets to that point. If you think about it, you do scheduled maintenance on your car, I assume. (laughs) You don't wait for it to break down. But when it comes to our bodies, our minds, our hearts, we don't always care for it, for us, in the same way. Counseling has been a huge gift to me personally. My relationship with my counselor is precious to me. I see her regularly. I'm just 
It's worth every penny. Just take all my money. And I know that counseling can be expensive. I joke about that, but I know it can be expensive. Many practices have sliding scales to help you offset some of that cost. I know it can be hard to find a counselor that you trust. And it is so important to find wise counsel, I agree with you. So for that reason, I printed some of the copies of our counseling referral list. They're going to be back at guest services um, for you to check out. There's also tons of great counselors who maybe aren't on our list. I just want to encourage you to go through the time and the energy to find a counselor you like and you trust. It's so worth it. <laughs> Invite people in this with you to support you, to wrestle alongside of you. Get people in your corner. You won't regret it. And the last question for your bulletin is, is there a perspective I don't see from here? Is there a perspective I don't see from here? In my own bewilderment, I found myself coming back again and again to perspective, asking God to give me perspective, to see things from a different level, to trust that there's a bigger story that I don't see from where I'm looking. We're a part of a much bigger story than just ours. God's big story from Genesis to Revelation, God has been pursuing us, redeeming us, and it's not over yet. I think about Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament through letters to different early churches, and he was called by God to minister to the Gentiles, so to go into all the world to preach the gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus had done. He was ready to go. Instead, he found himself imprisoned, literally stuck to one location. Talk about confusing. So what does he do? Um, he writes letters. I imagine him writing them with frustration because he couldn't go himself, settling for plan B, bewildered. Like, was this really what you meant, God? Did I hear you write letters? Little did he know what those would mean to us some 2,000 years later. Within God's big story, there's perspective. There's a 30,000-foot view that we can't see when we're standing at ground zero. Things that totally consume us in a moment will look different 5, 10, 50 years later. We may get clarity. Um, we might not. We might not ever understand the whys of our bewilderment in this lifetime. But trusting God and trusting his big story and his perspective will give us hope. It will give us a different way of seeing our circumstances. Often we filter God through our circumstances. We get crushed and we see God through that lens. We blame God for falling asleep at the wheel, accuse him of being apathetic, maybe even cruel. Often, we filter God through our circumstances when what we ought to do is filter our circumstances through what we know to be true of God. To do that, we have to get acquainted with the character of God. We've got to be deeply acquainted with this story, the Bible. On the road to Emmaus, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when they explained the scriptures to us? You want to discover what God is like, he's given us this book. 
This is our book. If you've never read it, um, it can be pretty confusing to know where to start. It's vital to understand that within this book are a bunch of little books with different audiences and different styles. <laughs> it's important to understand that. I highly recommend The Bible Project, um, if, especially if you're new to reading the Bible. The Bible Project is so helpful. I didn't put that in your bulletin, but if you want to write it down, it's just thebibleproject.org. It's really helpful in reading the Bible and understanding the Bible. I also want to encourage you um, to get into a small group. Find other people who are curious, who are committed to discovering and wrestling with our book. Or find people who just know it better than you, who know the Bible better than you. Ask them what it's looked like to wrestle with it for them. Another way to connect yourself to God's perspective is to create some practices of remembering. Some practices of gratitude. To cultivate trust, I think the way to do it is to discover the character of God through scripture and to discover the character of God through experience. Ask him where he is in your life. Ask him where he's shown up before. Remember where you've seen him and hold those things closely in your heart and mind. I have a prayer wall in my office that has become this for me. There, that's my office. <laughs> this is like an altar to me. I am obsessed with it. I think everyone should have one. Feel free to steal all the specs, make one for yourself. Absolutely. But this is the place where I write prayers. I write impossible prayers. I write prayers that are beyond what I can do with my own two hands. With my prayer wall, I dream I pray, I wrestle with God. I have three sections, prayers, um, things I'm asking for, answers, things I once asked for, and miracle things. It's very fun, it's very powerful. As he answers, as he shows up, I get to see and remember and worship. As I come back, to dream and pray and wrestle. I get to see face to face where he's shown up for me before. What might that look like for you? I don't know how you come in here today. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? How easy or hard it feels to you to trust God in the midst of your wrestling. Where it feels easy today, praise God. Praise God. Where it feels hard, dare I say, impossible to trust God. If that's where you find yourself today, may you know that God delights in you. And whatever a baby step might look like for you, that God is pleased with that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He allows us to wrestle. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for being so loving and patient and kind. For being a God who pursues us, who initiates with us, who allows us to wrestle with you. Give us perspective to trust your bigger story. You're a God who brings life from death, a God of resurrection, a God who will have the final word. So we look to you. We place our hearts, 
before you now as they are, authentic and honest before you. Give us vision to see things the way that you see them. Make us curious learners of scripture who long to see you and know you as you are. Increase our trust, God. You are trustworthy. We're going to have a moment to respond. So with heads bowed in here, if you're here and you feel like you've gotten sideways or you've just capsized, you are upside down, underwater currently, burdened, grieving, or you have some things in your life that you need to grieve. They might be raw and fresh, or maybe you've carried some of this for a long time and never really let yourself grieve. If that's you, we want to pray for you. So with your heads bowed in here, if that's you, you can just slip up a hand. Thank you. Thank you. You're placing yourself before God. Father, we pray for each of these people that you would give them courage to grieve, to follow you through it. You are close to the brokenhearted, so we pray for a deep sense of that truth to be seen and experienced by these people who have placed themselves before you now. We ask for comfort for them, for a peace that goes beyond understanding. Would you give them courage and honesty to wrestle well? And would you be the rock on which they can stand when everything else feels shaky? Would you place people in their corner to nourish them, encourage them? And would you remind them of your love and your delight in them, that they are not alone, that you are with them always? And you say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you give these friends that deep kind of rest right now, God? Thank you, God. If you are here and you've never really put your trust in God, never really invited him to journey with you, never really tried to wrestle with him, and you want to, if that's you, you can just pray this short prayer with me. God, I need you. I want to journey with you. I recognize that you've pursued me, that you've paid the ultimate price in Jesus to open this door for me to come now, just as I am. So I offer myself to you now, receiving your grace. Forgive me and guide me. Thank you, God. Thank you. We love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.